we are in a series called Encounters, talking about people's lives that were changed when they met Jesus. Uh, mostly we're going to be looking through the New Testament, but there's even in the Old Testament looking at, at um, the Christophany or the, the type of Christ uh, before Jesus came and, and how people's lives really changed. And scripture shows us time and time again that everyone who met Jesus was changed. And I believe that that should happen for every single one of us as well, as much as it happened in the Old and New Testaments, that when we meet Jesus and when people that we know meet Jesus, that they are forever changed. Because when you encounter God, it will always change you. Like we see with John, the disciple, his, his life became so full of love because of who he met in Jesus. And, and I've, as, as, as I've been studying these encounters in the Bible, um, I keep finding that these encounters, yes, they changed people, but I don't believe that they're ever meant to stop with a person who encountered Jesus. That in fact, they're supposed to travel so much further beyond us that we're a starting point. But when we encounter Jesus, that there are so many other people who need to encounter the same thing that we encountered. And this morning, I want to talk a man about a man who actually did that. And we see his story um, in the Gospels. His name is Matthew, uh, the gospel of Matthew was written by him, um, but he's also in his own gospel. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 today, verses 9 through 13. Um, and I will read out loud and you guys can follow along on the screens or on your Bibles if you, if you brought them, which is awesome if you did. This is what it says. This is actually New Living Translation. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man, that's important, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his house as, their dinner, as a dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So uh, Matthew's throwing a party, and the people at this party are not the best people um, in the town. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Wow, that's really nice. Thanks a lot. <laughs> when Jesus heard this, I bet Jesus wanted to deck those guys. He's like, I, I'm going to die for those people and you're calling them scum? Uh, anyways, uh, okay. So Jesus heard this and said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. And our first two messages that we've talked about in this series about people who have encountered God and how it phenomenally changed their lives forever, a lot of the focus was on us, on you, on, on John's story. Meeting Jesus will cause you to love more. Uh, the lame man uh, was, get over your excuses. Make sure you do something. Look outside of your religious comfort zone. But this week, it's not just a focus on you or on me, even though it is about us. I believe a lot of times in the church, um, it becomes way too easy to expect the pastor to say something to me to help me. Where I believe a lot of times, even though he wants us to do that, he also wants us to say, God, what are you saying to me, to the world that you love? Uh, that it's not always about us. So this message is absolutely about you, but it's also about every lost person that you have or will ever know. Especially with Easter coming up next week, what a, 
a great time to talk about Matthew's story and how people's lives, not just his life, but people that he knew who were sinners, who were, who were an abomination to the religious people, how their lives were changed by Jesus as well. So let's start with prayer. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, I pray that you would really speak to our hearts. Lord, that we would hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to us on this morning. Lord, and we ask that you would go before us, Lord, and that you would set a path. Father, that we would walk that path, Lord, that you would help us to see the way that you see. Lord, that we would feel for people the way that you feel for them, Lord, and that you would help us to be on mission in the same way that Jesus called every single one of us to be on mission. Lord, that our hearts would break for this lost world. Lord, and we would know that we have a part to play in bringing this world and this city to you, Jesus. So, Father, change our hearts. Lord, help us to be transformed. Help us to be transformed so we can transform the world that we live in. In Jesus' name, everyone said. So I heard a story once about a burglar. And um, the burglar, he broke into this house in the middle of the night. He was stealing anything that he grabbed. He had this little flashlight. Maybe it was an iPhone, the back of his iPhone. He was going around, and he had cased the place, so he didn't think anyone was home. He was pretty confident. So he's, he's grabbing anything he can, sort of dark out. And then while he's in one of the rooms, he hears something in the next room, and he hears this voice, and it says, Jesus is watching. And so the guy, he freaks out, and he's looking around, but it's dark, and he can't see anything with his little flashlight. So he starts going towards the door with what he's already grabbed, and he hears this voice again, and it says, Jesus is watching. And the voice, it sounded a little familiar to him and a little odd. Um, so he, he slowed down, and he goes back into the room with his fa- flashlight, and he's looking around, and he finds a bird in the room. And he looks at the bird and laughs and he says, is that your name, bird? Is your name Jesus? And the bird goes, nope. Jesus is watching. And so the thief looks again and says, okay, well, if that's not your name, bird. What is your name? He says, my name is Clarence. Jesus is watching. And so the thief, he's laughing at this point. He thinks, what type? And he says this, what kind of fool names his parrot Clarence? And the parrot said, the same fool who names his Rottweiler Jesus. Jesus is watching. <laughs> In our story today, I don't want us to look past the fact that Jesus was watching. That Jesus saw Matthew. In Matthew 9, 9, it says in the New King James Version, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Jesus saw Matthew. And I think a lot of us are so convinced that God is like a Rottweiler, that he's sitting in the corner ready to attack for all the wrong things that we do. And so we think, yes, God sees us, but mostly to keep a list of all the bad things we do because we're sinners. And and so God's just saying, yep, that confirms that you're a sinner and you've done all these bad things. And mostly he's watching us to slap our hand when we do something wrong. And I believe that God is, Jesus is watching every single one of us. But you need to know that it's not to condemn you. 
It's not to take a record of all the bad things that we've done. It's because the law did that. And, and Jesus came to erase all of that list that, that says all of the bad things that we've done. To drop your name and the charges that the law has condemned us with. In John three seventeen, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In Colossians two thirteen and 14, it says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. Um, sorry, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges charged against us and took away it by nailing it to the cross. And I believe in the same way that Jesus saw Matthew, Jesus sees you and Jesus sees me. He sees us through the busyness of life and the crowd of people in the midst of our sinful ways, just like we see and are going to understand about Matthew. Jesus sees you because he's looking for you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves every single person, sinner or saved, wherever you're at, he loves you. Jesus didn't just stumble upon Matthew who was looking for him. And then Matthew, he immediately follows Jesus. And Matthew 9, 9 again, it says, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, there's such significance that we have to understand the context of Jewish, Jewish culture and the way that people became um, disciples was a lot, a lot different than what maybe you and I would think. It's sort of like a college program or being accepted into a school that you apply to. Um, in Jesus' time, it's actually he's recorded by many people as being called a rabbi, um, by many Jewish leaders. And Nicodemus in John 3 calls him rabbi. Nicodemus was a leader of the Jews. The Sadducees actually call him a rabbi and acknowledge him as such in Matthew 22. A lawyer comes to him and asks him, pronounces him, claims him as a rabbi in Matthew 23. And the Pharisees even um, show acknowledgement that he's a rabbi in Luke 19. Uh, now, somebody who was a rabbi in Jesus' day wasn't just somebody who was really smart. It was actually somebody who had gone through a formal process. If you were to be called a rabbi by your peers, it was an acknowledgement that you had um, processed through a formal system. Now, in the Jewish system, uh, from age 6 to 12, every single Jew, especially in Galilee, which was one of the most religious uh, areas in all Judea, um, they would... Um, be taught in the synagogue. So a lot of people think the synagogues were just a place to worship, but it was actually more a school than a place of worship. It was a place where children, every single child, if your parents were, were strong Jewish religious people, your child, male or female, from age of 6 to 12, would all go to the synagogue and be caught. We see Jesus, he goes to the temple, he's so comfortable there, one, because he's God, but he's at the age of 12 in Luke 2, we see him discussing and asking questions. Uh, also understand that Jesus was asking questions, he wasn't teaching the leaders, he was actually asking questions to the leaders, but they were floored by how much he already knew. Um, so this place was called from 12 or 6 to 12 elementary school for us was called Bethsefer. But then once you became 13, uh, young men who had their bar mitzvah, they were able, if chosen by um, the school, if they were at the very top of their class and the most knowledgeable, then they would go on to what was called Bet Midrash. 
And this was sort of like a high school, but you had to be chosen to be part of this. And anyone else would be pushed off to their parents who would learn a trade, uh, but they would memorize the entire Old Testament. Uh, They would start going through other education and start to learn a trade just in case once they got to 15, they decided or not chosen to move on to what would be called college for us. Now, once kids got to 15, uh, if they're at the very, very top of their class, um, from the ages 15 to 30, you would be asked to continue, and a rabbi would have to pick you to follow him. And they would use this Jewish idiom called, uh, that a rabbi would say if he thought you were worthy and smart enough and could um, duplicate what he had done and the knowledge that he had, the, the rabbi would look to the person and say, follow me which we see Jesus do time and time again. So all, I say all of that because being called to be a disciple was a big deal. It was something that happened throughout Jewish culture, but you had to be picked for it. And you had to be the best of the best. You had to be the top of the top. You had to have all of the knowledge. And even those who were knowing who knew everything, sometimes they still didn't get picked. It was only for the elite. Um, And so when you look at the people who Jesus picked, it's a big deal. And the first four disciples that Rabbi Jesus picks are Peter, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Now, all four of these people were fishermen. Okay, and in social hierarchy of the day, fishermen were the very low of the low. If you couldn't do anything else with your life, at least you could fish. Uh, That's how they were viewed by society. So obviously they'd been weeded out of the system at a very young age. Uh, Jesus picks these four and this would have sent cultural waves throughout the community. Because Jesus as a rabbi who would have had many people seeking after him, trying to become his disciples. We see different stories of people saying, let me follow you. And Jesus Either um, he, he gives them something to do and they can't do it. And he said, well, too bad, you can't. So, so that was actually very, very common. But Jesus goes and picks these four fishermen. And he makes a statement as he picks them saying, I go after the socially inept. When everyone else runs from them and writes them off, I run to them because I believe in them. So naturally, when we get to Matthew who's probably the fifth disciple that's chosen, Matthew's not a good person. Matthew is a tax collector. He worked for the, the Roman government. He sold himself out to the enemy of the Jewish people. Um, he was actually, the Pharisees would deem uh, tax collectors as absolutely unforgivable. You, you couldn't be forgiven. No number of sacrifices could ever make you right with God again. So Matthew isn't winning any righteousness awards, and he has no aspirations whatsoever to be chosen by a rabbi, let alone ask a rabbi if he can follow him. Uh, Basically, he lived his life, and what the tax collectors would do is they could go up to any single person and charge them a tax, And that person would have to pay based off of the authority that the Roman government gave them. And he could charge them way over what they actually owed. He would just give them a number and they would have to pay it. And so then Matthew or any tax collector would give the the Roman authority a certain amount and they would keep whatever was left over. So basically they're thieves and robbers. 
That's, that's who they were. And so because of this, nobody liked tax collectors. And when nobody likes you, you end up hanging out with other people that nobody likes. So Matthew is hanging out with the sinners, with the unclean, with the unmentionables. That is who Matthew's buddies are. Yet we see Jesus calls Matthew in the midst of his state. Not after Matthew got his life altogether. Not after he felt acceptable to God. Like all of the disciples that Jesus chooses, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Don't ever think that you have to be perfect in order for God to see you, for God to call you, or for you to follow God. Because through the life and the choosing of Matthew, Jesus makes another statement that not only do I go for the social outcast, but I go for the morally bankrupt. There's nobody who I won't go after. Matthew, come and follow me. Now understand that Matthew, he didn't have to follow Jesus. He actually made a choice. He got to follow Jesus. I think there are so many people who um, during this time would have just begged Jesus to, to follow him. And, and I, it's such a problem in our society because I think a lot of times what we do is we think, okay, well, I have to follow Jesus. This is my duty. And, and if I don't do this, then I'm a bad person or, or I just feel like this is my obligation. And, and I think it messes us up as Christians and in our society that we live in is because we see following Jesus as a religious obligation. And I think it would change our lives if we took the perspective not so much as seeing following Jesus as this obligation, but that we would see it as the um, relational opportunity of a lifetime. That we would see that I get to follow Jesus, not that I have to. Not that it's something that's forced upon me. I think it would radically change our relationships with God. That he didn't come and grab our hands so that he could point his finger down at us. Once we believe in him, that's not what he does anymore. He came to hold our hand and guide us through this life. Because he loves us and because he's proud of us. And the way that he sees us is clean and perfect. Because of what he did on the cross. So Matthew, he literally drops everything in his life to follow Jesus. Now you look at the first four disciples and if they would have, um, they followed Jesus, but if things didn't work out for them, they could go back to fishing. But when it comes to Matthew, he couldn't go back to tax collecting. In his heart, he couldn't go back to it. And he probably wouldn't be able to go back to the Roman authorities and get that job back. He literally drops everything, forsakes his old life to follow Jesus. Why? Why would Matthew drop everything in his life that he knew, the money that he had, the security that he had. And I believe what happened was when Jesus walked up to Matthew and he saw Matthew and he looked in his eyes, what Matthew saw was what he had been looking for his entire life. Because a tax collector, especially a Jewish tax collector, would have sold himself out for money. And he thought he had his answer. In Luke 16, 13, Jesus speaking says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think Matthew had been looking for love and money his entire life. 
It's very clear that people do this even in our society today, that we, we look for, at, to money as our love or our security or, or something that keeps us safe. But when Matthew looked into Jesus' eyes, I believe that he found a love so much more powerful than anything that this world could provide that he looked now at money as such a cheap imitation that can never fulfill his heart like now what he knew. He knew it. He couldn't go back. I think Matthew saw so much love that he dropped everything in his life to follow Jesus, but he didn't stop there. He knew that he had to share the love that he had now encountered with the world that he lived in because he knew that they would be looking for the same love that he had found, that they had been grasping at for years and years and whatever prostitution or or money laundering or whatever it might be, that he knew now what true love was. And he said, I have to share this with the world that I live in, with the people that I know and the people that I love. You see, Matthew's encounter never stopped with him. He didn't allow his encounter to stop with him. Matthew uh, 9.10, he goes on and says, Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples into his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Look at how Matthew responds after his encounter. How he uses his encounter to bring other people to an encounter with Jesus as well. In Matthew 9, 11, it says, But the Pharisees saw this and asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, what a stark contrast between the love of Jesus and these Pharisees who had concluded, If you are around sinners, then you must be a sinner. You see, the Pharisees, and I see this so much in our society and church today, that we live in a religious isolationism. Uh, which is based off of a works mentality that says, as long as I don't touch something that's dirty, then I remain clean. Please understand that the only reason that you and I are clean is not because of what we touch or because of what we run away from. It's only because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Not because of who you're around or who you decide not to be around. Jesus is the only reason that any of us are clean. It has nothing to do with what you can or cannot do or who you are or are not around. It is only Jesus that makes you clean. It is only his sacrifice that purifies us, that washes us clean as snow. And while the Pharisees are shaking their head, thinking, I can't believe that you would do this. Jesus is understanding that this is the only thing that I came to do. I came to seek and to save the lost. And understand during this time that anyone that you sat down to eat with was somebody not only that you were eating with and associating with, but somebody that you were actually endorsing. And this is scandalous. First of all, that a rabbi would sit down with sinners, let alone God would sit down with sinners. But it's also scandalous that Jesus encountered me, that he sat down with me and that he sat down with you. And he said, I endorse you. I no longer see you as a sinner. I see you as a son. I see you as who God created you to be originally. So while the Pharisees can't understand why Jesus is eating with dirty sinners, Jesus understands how clean all these sinners are going to be after dinner. As the Pharisees are outside demanding change to engage with sinners, Jesus is inside causing change by engaging with sinners. Matthew understood that this love 
that I've encountered, that I've experienced, that I've seen with my own eyes, it can change anybody, and I know everyone's looking for it. But the religious leaders, they didn't understand this love. I bet none of them actually ever looked into Jesus' eyes for the receiving spirit. And, you know, I think a lot of us, we struggle with a hint of this mindset ourselves and the world that we live in. And, and I think a lot of the reason is because of misinterpretation of Scripture or misunderstanding wisdom. Because we'll hear some Scriptures and we'll think, uh, we'll come to a conclusion out of context. And one of those, one of those Scriptures that we hear is First John 2.15, which it says, uh, Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But please understand that it doesn't say don't love the people in the world. If God wanted us out of the world, then he would have taken us out of the world. But we know that he doesn't want us out of the world. And he prays in John seventeen fifteen, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. You see, he doesn't want us to shun the world that we live in and the people of the world. He wants to keep us from the sin of the world, but he wants us to engage and go after the lost people in the world. Why? Because he loves them. The other um, scripture that a lot of people and I heard a lot when, in the school I went to growing up was uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three: Bad company corrupts good character. Uh, you probably have heard that as well, and, and people say that quite often. But if you read what Paul is saying in context, um, you have to understand that that's not exactly what we, what we think is what it says is good people don't hang out with bad people. But that has nothing to do with what is being talked about. Paul is actually talking to people who are arguing about uh, the body and the resurrection of the dead. And there is a group of people who are saying, you know what? I'm sick of seeing people die and being ripped apart by wild beasts. So let's just engage in the culture that we're in. This is in Corinth, which was the center of false gods and, and sin. And, and they're saying, let's just forget about this. Let's just engage with the world that we're in and sin like they're sinning so that we don't die, so that we aren't tortured, so we don't see our friends die. Because really, what's inside of us is spirit, and our spirit really isn't affected by our flesh. So what our hands do doesn't really affect our spirit. So we can do whatever we want, because when we die, we're only going to be spirit. And so let's just go and sin. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> Please, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. And, and if you read it in context, uh, what it says is... Um, in verse uh, 32, it says, uh, there are these people who are saying, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. And when Paul is saying this, he's saying, let's or let us. So there's people who are trying to pull others in, other Christians in, and saying, don't worry about what you do, because it doesn't matter. God's cool with you sinning. Bad company are not people who do bad things. Bad company are people who pull you away from the truth of God. And understand, if you have a problem with alcoholism, just don't go into bars. Like, be smart. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Pastor said I can go. That's not what I'm saying. If there's something that is going to mess you up, don't go there. But the people in those bars need somebody to tell them about Jesus. The people in the world that we live in need somebody to tell them about Jesus. 
And it is so hard, and I would say almost impossible, to show the love of Jesus to people when all we're doing is dropping our jaw, saying, I can't believe what you're doing. There's a saying, and it says, um, uh, runners run, golfers golf, golf, swimmers swim, sinners sin. Sinners do not have a standard that we as believers in Christ have. You understand, their, their, their um, standard is not the word of God like it is ours. And when we look and see somebody doing something or somebody uh, cussing or, or whatever it might be, and we're like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? But Jesus loves you. <laughs> what they see is God saying, what is wrong with you? And if we aren't careful, we'll turn Christianity into what we stay away from instead of who we stay close to. You see, the lobby was filled with sick people. Matthew nine twelve. it says, When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. John, can you come up? I believe there's so many sick people, sick with sin, that need the hope of Jesus. And the thing is, we know the best doctor of all time. And I pray that our church and our lobby will look like a hospital. No, not just a hospital full of sick people, but we have a hospital full of doctors. Every single one of us are doctors. You see, and a hospital cannot just be a hospital if it's full of sick people. That's a place to just go and die. But a hospital is also not a place that just has doctors. Because if it's only doctors, why are you there? We need both doctors and we need sick people. I believe and I pray that when people walk through the doors of our church and they meet you, when they meet me, when they walk through the glass doors of our church, that, that they would be healed not because they come into a room, because they meet you. And not because they just meet you, but they look into your eyes and they see the love that Matthew saw in the eyes of Jesus. That when people walk into this church, that they will be healed, that the sick will be healed before they even get to the sanctuary, before they hear me preach on Sunday morning, that their lives would be changed because of the love that they see just the way in the same way that Matthew and the sinners who sat down with Jesus saw. That they would walk through these doors and be freed of their sin, their sickness. Listen, if all the people that I touch, if all the people that our church, Jesus' church touches, are people who know Jesus, we aren't touching enough people. And if all the people that I love, love Jesus, I'm not loving enough people. And I have to take a step back and say, do I truly understand the love of God? I mean, I could just imagine this scenario with Matthew. Matthew's completely changed. He leaves his old life. He goes and follows Jesus. And he has this idea of having a party with sinners. 
And I, you know, when somebody has, has just been converted, they're not thinking of logistics. They're just like, I got to get people to Jesus. And I can imagine like Matthew and Jesus having this conversation. Matthew's like, I was really messed up. Jesus is like, yeah, you were pretty messed up. And then Matthew's like, it might shock you, but I got a lot of friends and they're messed up too. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I, I, get, get, I gather that. And then Matthew's like, but I've got this great idea. I'm going to throw a party and I want you to be the guest of honor. Jesus, would you sit down with all of my messed up friends? Because I want them to look into your eyes. I'm sure Jesus said, absolutely. I want to look into their eyes too. Jesus wants to look into the eyes of every single person here, but also every single friend that you have. Matthew led them to a, was led to a decision, but then he led people beyond that decision. You know, growing up, um, going on missions trips, I always was told, get people to say yes. It's all about the decision. It's all about getting people to say yes. And, and so in evangelism, I was taught, okay, well, I just have to go up to somebody and throw a track at them and run. And hopefully they'll say yes. Or, or if I just get them to raise their hand or I get them to nod their head, then I'm good. And, and it's all about the decision. But what I understand now is evangelism isn't about a decision. It's about a savior. Yes, there is a decision to make in Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But I think that we focus far too much on the decision. It's sort of like if you're in a, in a marriage and you say, the key to my marriage is a good wedding. Um, and and as, a, as a husband, you say, I'm going to be the best husband ever. I'm going to throw you an awesome wedding and then check out for the rest of our marriage. Yeah, that does not work. It doesn't work that way. And I think as we focus so much on a decision, what it does is sometimes it will devalue the relationship. Matthew knew if I can get them to the table with Jesus, the decision's inevitable. That's going to happen. But he knew encountering Jesus was more than just a moment. It was a decision to hold the hand of Jesus for the rest of eternity. Not to just say yes during a sermon for a brief moment of time. Matthew led them to so much more than just a decision. And if we are changed in the way that Matthew was changed, I believe that we'll be driven to live a life based off of an encounter of love with Jesus, but also to bring other people to that encounter as well so that they can live lives full of, of the love of Jesus. And this is the fullness of God's encounter with us. Not just for a moment, not just for a decision, but saying, Jesus, I want to walk this journey of life with you. I want a relationship with you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, it says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ recon reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak to Christ when people plead. And when people say, come back to God, God wants us to reach the world. 
He wants to reach the world through every single one of us. And at the end of this party, I believe that there would have been people and Jesus would have gone off to his next place and people would have been standing around. There would have been people, we know there were people outside of the party and they knew there was a party there and they knew Jesus was there. And so after the party, I can just imagine that people, these sinners, these disreputable people are coming out of this party and people are asking him, what was it like? What did Jesus say? How did you get to meet Jesus? And I guarantee you, the answer that every single one of them would have given was, Matthew introduced me. Matthew did. He gave me the opportunity to look into the eyes of Jesus and see love that I had never seen before. And I pray, and I know someday in heaven, that we'll be up there and people will, will be coming up and saying, You're here! This is so awesome! How did you meet Jesus? How did you get here? And people will say, well, Jesus got me here. I'm here because of Jesus. But I met Jesus because of you. Matthew's encounter absolutely was for him, but it went so far beyond him. And I pray that this week, especially with a time uh, of the year like Easter coming up, an easy time to get people to come to see the love and experience the love of our Savior. Let that convict your heart. Um, I grabbed a cup, right, we made these cards, and if you can grab a couple of these cards on the way out and hand them to somebody. Throughout your week, pray and hand them to somebody and say, here, come, come see what, what, what I've experienced, what I've encountered, because I believe it's something that you need as well. And then when they come here, we'll, we'll love on them. We'll eat pancakes and bacon with them. And we'll understand and we'll know that they get to make a decision to follow Jesus, but then they get to walk out of a relationship with him as well. Would you pray with me?